0: Welcome to the Make One Day Happen Podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Jean. This podcast is designed to inspire, educate, and empower people to elevate their consciousness and activate their full potential. We share stories, ideas, and resources that support our listeners and their personal and professional growth by hosting meaningful conversations that spark aha moments. Laughing, learning, leveling up, all guaranteed. We'll be hearing from innovative thought leaders, CEOs, professional athletes, best-selling authors, musicians, and more as they share lessons they've learned along the way and ideas that can change the world. A great podcast doesn't happen without a great team, and we're proud to partner with Lost Range CBD and The Plug Agency to bring this show to life. So pull up a seat and let's get to it. All right. Welcome to the show today. You guys is the make one day happen podcast. And today I am really excited about our guest. uh, Jermaine Fowler, AKA the professor is a podcast host and an extreme history buff. Uh, He's on a mission to uncover truth, wisdom, and share untold stories in humanity. So I found his podcast and Instagram uh, at the humanity archive to be wildly helpful in my journey of unlearning. His writing is tremendous. And you guys wait till you hear his voice. It's magical. He's a fellow lifelong learner, and I am so excited to welcome Jermaine to the show today. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So excited that you're here. We already got into a few things. Um, We're talking about the unexamined life, which is no life to live. (laughs) Don't do that. Examine shit, people. Examine it. (laughs) Examine it. And then you just said something else, too, that was really interesting, But why don't we start with just, you know, introducing yourself a little bit about your history and kind of how you've gotten to where you're at and give the listeners just a a taste of who you are.
1: Yeah, well, I'm Jermaine Fowler, the creator of the Humanity Archive podcast, which I say is something that I put together to tell the untold stories of history, the histories of marginalized people, the history of ordinary people who have done extraordinary things and those people that you probably didn't hear about in school or if you did, they were more of a footnote, right? They were um, on the margins of history. So um, I created a website, a podcast to educate uh, the world, the public um, on these stories and to really dive into the humanities, right? I mean, now uh, we're focused so much on STEM education. I think, you know, the humanities have taken a back seat and people are struggling to see the value in a humanities education, but I think that a humanities education is what we need to move forward uh, in democracy and connectedness. Um, We're talking about the arts, we're talking about philosophy, we're talking about history and all these things that can kind of teach us and show us what it means to be human and find meaning in life. So, um, you know, that's my mission, uh, not only to tell the untold stories of history, but to also kind of uh, share in my love of and teaching of and learning of i um, a deep education, lifelong learner, as you said, a uh, scholarship, and um, just trying to see how I can use that to be better in the world, take action in the world, and connect with others in the world.
0: I love it.
1: I was just wondering for you, like, because you said, you know, this year, you know, with the George Floyd and everything, and I think you might have a perspective on that, like how prepared... Uh, do you think that uh, you were for, for, for this moment, you know, in history, I think this catastrophic moment in a lot of ways with, uh, you know, black misery on TV, police brutality, racism, like all those things, like really um, escalating to a point where like everybody has their eyeballs on it, like, you know, did, as far as your upbringing, your school, like how prepared were you for, for this moment, I guess?
0: I think it's, and it's something that I've really dug into because I think the scariest thing for me is that I actually have um, a lot of cross-racial relationships, a lot. And I grew up in very diverse school systems. Um, And so I think that like my biases are lower, but that still doesn't begin to cover it. Right. Like I was blind to this after, you know, I, I, despite the fact having multiple best friends of color dating outside of you know my category or what the fuck ever we want to call that and Mm -hmm. it still just like knocked me upside the head and had a lot of real conversations with friends and um one in particular that was like yo, like I, I get it. Your heart's in the right place, but you got, you got some education to do. Like you got to learn about all of this and you gotta, you gotta understand what centering is. You gotta understand what fragility is. You got, you gotta like, you gotta dig in and figure this out so that you can help. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's, what's scary for me is that knowing that most white people don't have close relationships, people that they can have honest conversations with and feel like they're in a safe space to fuck it up and like, be like, oh my God, like help, help. Like, cause I think that's, yeah. that's an interesting dynamic of what's happening right now. There's, there's a lot of like well-deserved frustration, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, I think that's, what's wild to me is like that we have these two kind of communities that just like Don't understand how the other one can't see what they see, or like, and then like the other one's like, "What are you talking about? There's nothing going on here." Yeah,
1: there's a lot of tension I think in the dialogue. If you read different comments, you know, there's a there's a lot to gain and learn from comment sections, right? Of maybe you might have an activist who might take the stance where it's like, "Not my job to teach you about racism, about you know the black experience, et cetera, et cetera," and then you have you know a lot of well meaning it seems like white people who were kind of, you know, it's just like that tension back and forth almost turns into a debate to where I think sometimes that stalls the movement forward. And I see that a lot. Absolutely. Um, but then again, you do see people coming together too in dialogue. And I think that's one of the powerful things about the internet. I love to see how like the Instagrams and, you know, Facebooks are being used now for those conversations to open up. So, you know, we, we say a lot of bad things about Social media, but I think it's definitely been a force for good as well by opening up dialogues globally, nationally, with people who might not have even spoken to each other otherwise.
0: Exactly, you know, like that, that's an interesting thing to think about when you think you think about segregation in the in the literal sense of our communities, but then also what happens on social media. I mean, what happened with this election, and the part that like social media plays in it, and before social media, it's like if you wanted to really kind of explore different cultures get to know other people like it was a lot harder to do like you'd have to like travel to actually do that outside of like your community versus like social media now it's like let me go find someone that looks like an interesting person to follow and has something to teach me and click follow and then I I can engage and learn that way which is miraculous
1: absolutely I agree I agree
0: so it's it's definitely a double-edged sword social media but yeah there's um I think that is, that is, you, you know, you kind of mentioned like comments and and that's where it's like, I don't, I like I'll never obviously know what it's like to be black and there is no way I'm ever going to tell someone how they should feel, what, what they feel like their role is or isn't in helping white people understand it. I do see that if we don't help more white people understand it, we're not going to be able to fix it. And that shaming and what's the word to use? I I think, I really think it just comes down to shame. Like if you're going to shame someone for something like this is like, unfortunately a system that like, we're completely ignorant to, and you have to like Mm -hmm. put in a lot of work to undo it and start to see things through a different light. And like, that's, that's not my fault either. Like I didn't pick my skin either. I didn't pick the thought pattern collective collectively that I was born into. And it's designed to keep us ignorant and to keep us unaware of what's happening, like by nature. And so it's like, you have to really like want to get out of it or even like be willing to acknowledge that it's there.
1: I think uh, maybe some of the tension, you know is definitely historic too, because you have, uh, you know a history of like liberalism, right? Where, you know, you'll have a lot of white liberals you know, from the Kennedy era all the way forward who, uh, you know, may speak one thing, but then, you know, they're still having those benefits of, um, you know, white supremacy, whether advertently or inadvertently. So I think there's still kind of like you have in the Black community where um, a lot of Black people are leery about, you know, going to the doctor, right? Because you have this history of, um, you know, medical racism, you have this history of, you know, experimentation um, from Henrietta Lacks to the Tuskegee Experiment. Mm -hmm. things like that that are uh, kind of historical memory. So I think that tension kind of lies there. So I think, again, that's where the awakening kind of has to um, have a starting point in history to where, you know, if you know that history, then you'll know why some uh, black people are a little more standoffish, a little more leery about letting kind of, you know, white people into the conversation, uh, which I definitely get what you're saying about the shaming part of it, though, because I do see some of that, too. It's like at some point we do have to move the dialogue past the shame, you know, because ultimately we're trying to move forward, you know, from these things. But then you also have that historical aspect too, where I think uh, causes some of that tension as well. So only by knowing that is the only way to get, get past that. Right.
0: I cannot even, something I'm really interested in is generational trauma. And I just like, like, I, like, I know this might be weird to say, but like even just trying to imagine what the generational trauma is like for the black community, like gets, my body tense it gets like I can't even begin to comprehend it and I in in that sense like you guys are allowed to feel however you want engage with us like I can't believe that like I it just it's so hard to wrap my head around that I would never like if if someone doesn't want to take on having this conversation I would never force them into it I don't you know think whatever you need to heal however you need to and I am also like on the side of like, okay, we also have to, like we have to find a way forward. And so what are the things that are stopping white people from doing this work? And and are you familiar with Brene Brown?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: She, I I mean, she's done some really, really interesting research on shame and just like how that impacts humanity in general. And so it's like looking at different situations, um, I think that there's a lot that, like, yeah, fragility is a real thing, and we cannot cater to that. H- hard no on that. And like, if it if if tactics are used that are going to like push white people so far back that they just want to go back into their cave of ignorance, like that's mm-hmm. not going to help either. So like, that's a good point
1: too. Because uh, finding I'm that doing balance, some, I'm doing some research now. Um, on the history of like police and police brutality and everything. I'm and, so excited uh, for that episode. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, going to be an interesting one. But just within that, I uh, did some reading to where um, they took some surveys of teachers, and they're, they're basically saying um, just educationally, like right, like why don't kids know about this history of like police brutality, slave patrols, whatever, um, slavery, and everything else? And of course, you have the textbooks, which. Don't really know how to deal with it or aren't forthcoming and they hide and conceal certain facts of history or sugarcoat it, sanitize it, whitewash it, water it down. But then on the other end, the article said like, even if, you know, the textbooks did put the real information out, there's that aspect of that fragility where teachers surveys are saying like they feel intimidated by this, uh, this subject matter because of course 79% of teachers now are white, mostly female. Um, you know, and there's that fragility that you talked about to where it's like, okay. And some of them recorded saying like, I don't know how that's going to make the white students feel if I bring up slavery, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. So I don't know how to deal with that topic. And Mm -hmm. I think you see that, um, you know, widespread, right. That fragility. And I think that ultimately, yeah, that is something that, um, that, that, that's a non negotiable, right. Because if, you know, people are that, that causes fear and then that fear stops the dialogue. And, um, I, I know what you were saying about a lot of self-work, right? One of my favorite quotes is from Socrates and it says, the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, what does that mean? That means you have to interrogate your deepest assumptions, uh, interrogate your presuppositions, your beliefs that you were raised with all those things, put them on the table. And, you know, we could talk about racism, putting that on the table. I mean, as a male, I I wrestle with patriarchy every day, right, Um, you know, just that aspect of, you know, how have I treated women in the past? How have I, you know what? What are my thoughts? You know, coming up. You know, in Western society, there's no way that you know in, any man can't be shot through with some of that. So we have to acknowledge these things, not deny them. Because ultimately, what am I doing? I'm giving up some of that power, right? And I think that's what people are afraid of. People are f- afraid of giving up that white privilege, or males are afraid of giving up that uh, patriarchal power, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's all kind of based in the same thing, right? So we all have to be willing to turn inward, question ourselves. Question: What we believe, our values, and then bring those out into a, a public dialogue, which I think we see a lot of happening, which is what we're doing right now. So um, that that's all where it begins. I'm glad to see that it's internal work now, more so where the past, you know, you had the protest, the outward movements, but now it seems to be kind of more internal movements where people are like taking that inner work and then having dialogues in places like social media and podcasts, etc.
0: Yep, there um, a the. Unexamined life quote is my brother's favorite quote of all time. And like, he he's, he's in chiropractor school, but huge history and philosophy buff. You guys would actually get along very well. Um, I just also want to say I'm terrible at history. Like I am not, not great at it. It was never my favorite subject. And 2020 has taught me how wildly important it is to go back and look and really start to understand where there's huge chunks missing. I, the, the post I think that really like hooked me into you was about, and ties into this unexamined life that we were just talking about. Um, the one of braving the wilderness within. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love that line. Like your writing really is, you're such a great writer. Um, and that line just like shook me. It was at a time when I like my world was melting down. Um, freshly divorced, freshly moved to a new city, freshly done with a company that, you know, was the contract was done, and like standing in the middle of a pandemic, like, fuck do I do with my life? I need to go yeah. within. I need to go put myself by myself, seclude myself, and just like really go within and really start to take a look at the programming, thoughts that aren't serving me anymore, white supremacy, like all of these things, like start to like undo it and like get right. clear and like let go of things that are holding me back. And, um, that like, honestly, that quote was something that resonated with me just so much. I'll make sure and link that one in the the show notes. Cause you have like a couple paragraphs that are just really be- beautifully written and, and captivated me. And really drew me to you, so I'm I'm so glad to have you here today and to talk about some things about history and, um, yeah, just kind of explore like history's place now and and where we're gonna go in the future and all of that good stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for this conversation. Um, in the quote you were referring to, I kind of alluded to the fact that people um, are have throughout history they've been uh wanting to conquer nature right kind of you know and you we have hiking canoeing we're trying to conquer mountains trying to conquer rivers uh hunting fishing and all these things the outer world being conquered but people not uh really having so much enthusiasm about going within and kind of conquering their interworld inner wilderness um and what's funny about that somebody in the comments said something to the effect of uh you're trying to ruin my love for for hiking and swimming and fishing i I think they kind of missed the point right it's just more (laughs) like not so much an attack on that it's just more of a hey like you know we should put as much emphasis on the inner than the outer right so that was the point for that but
0: hey yo popping in real quick to tell you about my latest obsession lotus way flower essences hear me out on this one i have been using these daily since april and holy cannoli i'm loving them We met at an event in Arizona, and they were like, hey, are you interested in experiencing more clarity, focus, and peace? And I was like, "Uh, hey, yeah, those are some of my favorite things that I help people find too, and I would always love more of that. So I've been using their elixir, their spray, and their oil. The elixir is my favorite. It's like a tincture that I put in my morning beverages and my water throughout the day. Then I also mist myself down with their spray and, of course, anoint myself with their oil in the afternoon. Basically, Lotus Way is a very easy way to add some nature back into your day, breaking up some of the interference and negative effects of our digital lifestyles. As a solopreneur living a downtown lifestyle, I need all the easy nature support I can get y'all. So this has been amazing. Like me, you might be wondering, WTF is a flower essence, Sheena. I did some research so we can all understand the difference between these and essential oils. Flower essences don't have a scent and they work through the acupuncture meridians. It's a liquid infusion of a flower or a plant's chi or life force whereas an essential oil is distilled and extracted from the plant into a highly aromatic oil. So they have this super dope flower quiz that you look at the flower see which one resonates most with you which helps you figure out which of their remedies would be best for you. It's so much fun to take. Y'all know I love me a quiz. So if you want, you can head over to check them out at forward slash. One day and use the code do it now to get 25% off the month of August. That is a steal y'all. Now back to the show. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny that you say that because another one of the podcast guests is um, the first North American woman to summit Everest from both sides. Another one is like captain of the men's whitewater rafting team. Who's done, he's tried to break records for going down the Grand Canyon the fastest and, and those people, which I'm, I'm really glad and, and hope you check out their episodes, but they are masters at going into their inner wilderness as well. And I think that's what fortunately for them, like allows them to really, really excel at some of those like bigger, larger than life goals. Yeah, you I know, right. You, you
1: can't, uh, you got to have some kind of mental fortitude and discipline to be able to hang off the side of a rock, the size of a skyscraper, right. Or to be able to, you know, raft down these wild, I mean, you know, any of those things, right. So I think they're the sure. living embodiment of, of that connection, right. Uh, manifested, uh, you know, in what they do. So that's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's, it is interesting though. Um, living in mountain towns for the past almost decade, like there's, you do come across like just insane athletes, like people who you, you question their sanity a little bit. You're like, mm, I'm sorry, you're going to go do what? Um, and like that can be very, a, a very consuming lifestyle out there where sometimes the inner work doesn't get done. And sometimes it, you know, it, that, I mean, not even sometimes like it just gets easily overlooked and mm-hmm. it's really, really an important part of living the examined life.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I agree.
0: So do you have a favorite story in history that you like to tell? And is that even a fair question to ask because there's a bajillion of them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I have a particular favorite story. I think my favorite stories are human stories, right? So I can find just as much value in Uh, reading Shakespeare's Hamlet, which, you know, you you can find stories uh, or or themes of virtue of justice, of morality in that story, and then turning around and reading a story about Ida B. Wells, who was the uh, anti-lynching crusader, Mm -hmm. um, or she had a quote that uh, every Black person should have a Winchester hanging over their bed for the protection that the law does not provide. So to see those sparks of humanity in any human story based on the circumstances of, you know, the person telling the story, the time period of the story and being able to try to connect in some way to that. And sometimes, I mean, the stories are stories of inhumanity as well. So you can kind of learn like what not to do as well as what to do, and then uh, kind of choose what legacy that you wanna be a part of, right? And um, I think the problem becomes, you know, with history, um, a lot of people choose legacies that, you know, that they're not having that North star, they're not really navigating properly or having a kind of moral compass to guide them. So you see people connecting to legacies like uh, you know, fascism, you see people connecting to legacies like uh, confederacy or to uh, just this dogmatic patriotism, like all these things, right? That uh, tend to divide us and push us apart rather than bring us together. So um, I think though, looking at just, just the human stories, right? To be able to connect to, to any story. So I'm very much a, uh, uh, someone who's very broad in my, my, uh, you know, when I look to different stories, I, and I
0: I do love that about, uh, your collection of work. Like there's, there's, there's just a lot of diversity in what you're talking about. You go all over the world. You look at all sorts of different cultures. You dig into women's rights. You dig into just like, you go, you're. You're very well versed, and it's like a choose-your-own-adventure. It's like it's like reading Rainbow, but for adults.
1: <laughs> Were you, you know, a reading I, Rainbow Kid? I definitely was. LeBar Burton. There. I mean, if he listened to the podcast and he gave me a shout out, I would be like, that would be the highlight of my whole like career, right there. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> I I I can see why. Like, I was hooked from reading Rainbow like straight out of the womb. Um, I, I'd love to tell you a little bit about um my experience learning about Emmett Till because I think this is what really is this is actually back in 2017 and um I was working at the Aspen Art Museum and I was reading uh something about like the Whitney Biennial which is like this big fancy art show that happens every couple years or however whatever biennial is I think that's every Mm -hmm. two years maybe um And there was a story about Dana Schutz. She is a white female artist who did a painting um, called Open Casket of Emmett Till. And what's interesting is like, I'm a big Kanye fan. I've heard Emmett's name. Had no idea about the story behind Emmett Till. And I start reading this article to see what the, like, what the, like, you know, there was a controversy that was happening and I was like I don't like I don't get it like let me read into this more and so I'm reading about this and I'm like how do I not know who Emmett Till is like as I start looking into this more like I'm just like sobbing in the middle of the museum gift store and really shook by the fact that like this is a story that I've never heard and it's so awful it's so unfortunately like still happening today mm-hmm. and like it just it rocked me I was like there's got to be so much more out there that I don't know about I remember calling my um my college roommate and I was like how come I don't know this like what's going on like what the fuck and she was like that's you know that's really strange um she's black she was way raised in a predominantly white high school mm-hmm. And she's like I don't know that I really remember learning about it as well but because you know, this, I'm part of this community. It's definitely something like we all know about and I'm like, that is just, it was just earth shattering to me that some, a story like this, like something that happened, like could be so blind to, to one group of our nation and like, so defining for another, um, and just I think the other part of this is so the controversy that happened was that um there were there there were people that were upset that a white woman portrayed emmett in this in this portrait and that she didn't have the the place to be doing that that it, this wasn't her uh like it wasn't on like on her to be able to do that um and i struggle with understanding that because like in some regards like Appropriation is a very real thing. We've got to be really careful on on how we're telling stories and why we're telling stories. Um, and there's also like, if it wasn't for this woman and her painting, like, when would I have learned? Like, there's like, it's opening now, the doors for um, conversations. I, I, I
1: need I need to look this up, but like, she uh, actually like painted herself as Emmett Till in the open casket, or how exactly was that portrayed?
0: No, it's um, if the link in the in the document is um should have the painting in it it's called open casket and it's an abstract portrait of Emmett. and and so i think like it it has i guess where i want to get into um you talked about the desensitization our society experiences in your podcast episode on ida b wells and how you almost gave up a few times due to the the gruesome nature of all the lynchings that you were researching. And and I think that 2020 has really brought to the forefront this, like the black deaths as a spectacle. It's a fine line to walk, to walk, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, we have to bring awareness to it, but yet we have to protect the privacy and the trauma that families and communities are going through with this. And so I guess I want to kind of open a conversation up about that. And how do we really walk that line and learn about history so we can take responsibility and course correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the, uh, the de- desensitization, um, and you talk about, um, you know, where we have this aspect where, um, you have like this, the spectacle, you know, you have this stuff being filmed, right. Black death being filmed and, um, you know you're sitting there watching it I mean what does that do well I mean if you're watching it over and over again I think you begin to come become numb to it um, so it's more of a fact of like how are you going to stay in tune with the humanity of that person who's suffering because you can look at um, pictures and videos of black suffering all day right I mean you've got horrific lynching pictures uh, there's a website that I've looked at before it's called without sanctuary and it's got just like you know, it's a book also, and it's uh, got just pictures of, of lynching scenes. You know, they used to send out mm-hmm. postcards um, of, of lynching. You know, you just get a postcard and send it to your grandma uh, no. from a from a public lynching. I mean, there's um that's probably the most terrible oh and and just horrific like horror movie type of stuff, right? Where, um, you know what, what went on not so long ago, but um, you know, to look at that, you know, I think one has to connect to it in a, in a way that is going to spur action because ultimately it could just kind of become commonplace, which I think it has become commonplace because it's happened for centuries. It's like, oh man, we have this uh, wash, rinse and repeat cycle where it's like, wow, shock, you know, and, and you know, you have a little bit of empathy uh, for that humanity, but then, you know, it kind of dissipates real quick and then you go about your daily life without the action. So if it doesn't spur action, then what are you really doing looking at it? You know, if, if it's, you're not looking at it in order to do something about it or connect to it in a way that's going to fuel you in some action to try to help it, um, then what are you really doing? And I think um, it's important to note too, like doing something, what does that mean? Well, could mean doing the internal work. Um, it could be looking at examples, right? Like what have people done throughout history to right wrongs and fight against injustice? Well. They organized. They mobilized. They came together. They uh, you know, they they did things from picketing to uh, to writing to just whatever your thing is, right? Everybody's got something to bring to the table. I mean, if you're an artist, you can uh, bring that skill set to the table. If you're a speaker, speak. If you're a writer, write. If you're, you know, whatever it is, I mean, you brought up, you know, you're you're part of uh, communities who are outdoors, right? So I mean, they they have a voice. You know, they they may see disparities in their their lane. So, you know, wherever you're at, whatever you do, just like taking action within that space. Uh, in order to to right those wrongs and actually not just look at these things and just kind of go back to your daily life right
0: yeah absolutely i I think that's that's hitting the nail on the head it's like what's the action that's going to come from educating yourself looking at those things and or, or for that artist you know i think her response to um the outlash that that she received was like i'm coming at this from a mother like i cannot imagine like if this had happened to my son, I think more people need to know about this. And like, that's, that's where my intention and, in, in sharing this came from. And, and it's that humanity piece, right? It's, it wasn't a necessarily f- from what I've read on the situation, um, her, her intention to appropriate or to, you know, add to, to black deaths as a spectacle. and, that's still how it was taken by a lot of people. And so I think that's kind of ties back to that conversation we were having earlier. It's like, how, how do we start to open up conversations and create safer space for us all to kind of meet in the middle to figure this thing out versus continuing to perpetuate collective thought patterns on both sides that keep us in the same place.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a tough one, honestly, because, uh, it's, it's a give and take relationship, right? I think, um, you know, ultimately, yeah, people have to see the intentions. I think like one, one thing that bothers me that people always have this word allies, right? Like allies, but allies are are kind of more of like a war term, right? Like an ally could be your friend one minute, turn their back on you another minute. So I, I always like the word friends, um, you know, uh, something a little more deep to connect us, you know, w- within our humanity. But I think there's there's always again there's that tension between the two communities because you know black people are leery like do these uh, white people who are coming into these spaces with this dialogue do they have the best intentions at heart is it going to be a wash rinse repeat cycle where you know another black death uh, police brutality is the um, kind of flavor of the day right now in 2021 to where you know you this is the, the big glaring injustice is that you know mass incarceration and everything. And are they just going to be here for the moment, right? Uh, or are they going to be here for the long haul? So I think that's where some of the tension with the Black community comes in. And then you have an artist who may have been well-intentioned, but, you know, she's entering into a space, right, where there's already tension within the museum space, right? Because you have Black artists who have been right. trying to get their work in the museum, who might have done something similar, but you have mostly white artists. Their artists of up. Um, you have different portrayals of museums that... Um, really show uh, uh, disparity, right? So I mean, there's all these things that you have to look at. So I think there are a lot of well-intentioned people, but unless you challenge the institution, um, you're not gonna solve the problem either because there's a lot of well-intentioned police officers as well, but you still, they're not gonna change this whole institution of police brutality that's you know linked all the way back. To, to the formation of police with corruption and slave patrols and everything else. Right. So um, it's not only the individual, but it's the institution that we have to look at. And the person has to see how they are um, coming into that institution as well with their work or, or themselves. And, you know, it's got to start with them, but it's also a bigger thing too.
0: I love that. I think that you're yeah. Spot on with recognizing, and I think that's, that, that can be, what's really challenging for white people is to recognize that they're complicit in a system that is so corrupt and horrifying, but yet blind to it. Like that is, it's like a, it's a, it's a scary thing to, to realize that like, um, everything that you've been taught is kind of a lie or a half truth or like a manipulation to keep this system in place like that's that's scary to wake up to to be honest yeah and people,
1: people i think people act like they gotta figure it out but i mean none of us really have it all the way figured out because i mean Ew. you have people from what extreme they're like just burn it all down right just, just burn it down but i mean what what do you really mean by that you know and then you have people who are more in the middle who are more about reform but then you say you know reform doesn't work and we're talking institutions at this mm-hmm. point you know as far as like whether it be um, the medical institution, the art institution, the educational institution, governmental, you know, whatever that may be. So um, I think that part of it, it's not quite figured out because I mean, even democracy, this is a very fragile social experiment, right? I mean, in history, mostly been kings, queens, pharaohs, czars, you know, uh, barons uh, and things like that. So we're all just like like winging it in, in this moment in history, trying to figure out this thing called democracy how to make it work for everybody. I mean, I think we know that we're on to something here, but, you know, it's not all the way mature, right? I think democracy is still in its in its infancy because, uh, you know, or maybe it's maybe in its teenage years, it's still a little unruly. It doesn't want to do what it's <I'm still>, <laughs> supposed to do for everybody. Definitely you know, teenage years. Black people and everything else, you know. Uh, uh, and and so that's kind of where we're at. People just trying to figure it out. What exactly do we do to make these changes? I mean, I think the, the good thing is, though, that people realize that, We're in a moment now that changes need to happen. It's just like, how do we come together to push, you know, those changes forward and figure out what those changes are going to be?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. Um, there was, I don't know if you saw a segment with, um, Eddie, I don't know how to say his last name, Glade or Gloud. Um, yeah, I've,
1: I've just recently came across some of his work Bay an amazing scholar. And, uh, you know, he has been on, on, I think getting a lot more attention as far as like in the media and everything too.
0: Yeah. He had a, a quote that I just like really hit me, hit me in the good way. Um, in the sense of just like that explains it so well, but he describes the U S as a country who is unique in our sins by a refusal to acknowledge them because, I think we're not unique in our sins as far as oppression and treating people awful. Like that's happened all over the world since the beginning of time, but where we are unique is in this, this blindness, this unwillingness to look at it or start to understand it. And, and that's where we like, yeah, we have to start looking at some of these uncomfortable things. We have to start having uncomfortable conversations. We have to start figuring out if we burn this whole thing down or if it is possible to, create reform and and kind of incremental change that can get us someplace better. Um because if if we don't like we're history is going to repeat itself and we're going to stay in this rinse r- cycle. Wait, what do you call it? Rinse something repeat? Rinse, wash, wash rinse, r- repeat. Rinse, repeat. Yeah, repeat. wash, rinse, repeat this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Same what form. I do with my hair. Got it. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: he, he makes a good point there. He makes a good point as far as um the inability to acknowledge, um, you know, past wrongs, because when you talk about reconciliation, right? I mean, one of the first um, steps is acknowledgement. You have to um, find yourself in the truth of what you did um, and acknowledgement, you know, that's the first step in moving forward. So, you know, if we have these wrongs that have been done over, you know, hundreds of years and then here we are still unable to acknowledge, that's why it's so frustrating because it's like, wow, we could have been like so much further by now, right? I mean, here we are, you know, in our generation, we're still at the point of acknowledgement, because people, again, what legacy are you going to choose to be a part of? I mean, there's these are people out here choosing to be a part of their father's legacy, even though, for lack of a better word, it's bullshit, right? You know, uh, some of the things that their father or grandfather believed, um, you know, so, so they're choosing to be a part of that legacy, as opposed to being a part of a different legacy. And when we talk about um, you know, white people, like people, it seems to me like more white people, um, on the one end, especially when you go to like the alt-right and the the right-wing, I mean, people are still like idolizing Hitler, um, as opposed to more, uh, connecting with the legacy of like John Brown or Dorothy Day or Anne Breda. I mean, black people don't have a monopoly on morality or, um, or on, uh, truth or on justice. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, white people throughout history as well who have, uh, you know, great legacies that you could connect to as opposed to like some of these more atrocious figures. Um, Same thing with like gangsterism, right? I mean, um, you know, I remember growing up and people would like idolize gangsters like Al Capone and, um, you know, different figures like that. And, you know, that that's your choice to connect to these atrocious legacies, legacies, trying to get over, get by, you know, uh, capitalism, get mine, forget you, uh, out for money, like that kind of thing. So again, like what Mm -hmm. legacy are you choosing to connect to? So. Again, I'm choosing to tell those stories of people who stood for things greater, grander than themselves, who uh, stood for justice, who tried to push democracy forward um, and, and, you know, connect us all.
0: I love it. And it's, it's, it's being exposed to those different stories, to those different types of legacies that exist out there that people can choose something different than what they might just be unconsciously falling into, for sure. I... Um, I did not have you. I did not have this in the question, so this one's coming coming out of the side. I've been watching Lovecraft Country. Have you seen this show?
1: I have heard of it, and I've like heard all the buzz surrounding it, and but I have not watched it though.
0: Oh man, Jermaine, I think you'd really like it. Um, what I think that they've done so well it, I mean there's so many things that the actors like it's cast really really well the storyline is amazing um just from like a entertainment factor too like it's I kind of like it's like a stranger things vibe mm-hmm. meets um but it's like set in the 1950s and 60s maybe 40s somewhere right there and like eh, like pioneer like they're pioneering in Chicago, this, this Mm -hmm. group of the the main cast of characters. Um, and there's so many little things that I've been able to learn that were totally like not on my radar, um, that weren't taught in school. Like I had to go Google what a sundown town was. I was like, how do I not know this? Like, this seems like a pretty basic thing to know, but like, I didn't know, and there's a whole episode where they get stuck in a sundown town, and like what mm-hmm. that experience would have been like. And um, there's there's a, a point where they break into a museum, and you hear a tour guide like walking by in the background. Saying something along the lines, and I'm laughing now, but I was, again, it was one of those horrifying moments where I like, it clicked that like, this is the thing that they tell you to think this way. But it's like a tour guide saying, these are some of the artifacts that the, um, you know, the brave soldiers brought back after having a nice interaction with the native people. And you're like... Mm -hmm not true. That's not true. There was not, there was not a peaceful situation. They stole these things and they are putting them on display for us to think that like our, our people were these nice humans that went and saved the other ones. It's like, oh my God. And it just, it really starts to help poke holes at everything and, and provide a deeper context from his, from historical lens that has been, um, really, really valuable. I'm obsessed with the show. I'm kind of taking it slow. So it doesn't end. I still have the last episode to watch. I was like, I don't want it to be done yet. Um, but that I think, you know, and, and where I'm going with this is I think, how do we start telling stories in a, in a new, and a different, interesting way, right? Like how do we work this more into entertainment and Hollywood if we need to, because that's where we can meet people at. Um, how do we start to, to rethink, you know, is burning all the textbooks. I mean, maybe we can go like Fahrenheit 451 on this and see what happens, but like, how do we start to really do more of what you're doing on a, on a larger scale? Like,
1: I think that, uh, I mean, it's going to start with the larger like population. Like you got to support anything that comes out like that because there's, again, there's like barriers to entry. A lot of times, within hollywood within even podcasting right i mean because you can look at uh, the lack of diversity in podcasting which has gotten better but i remember reading a study about you know the lack of diversity in podcasting even in the history space like i I don't think there is you know most of the history podcasts, top 10 top 20 you know probably 95 percent of those are produced by by white people um and and i think npr definitely have one called thoroughline so there's a few scattered in there but the diversity isn't as reflective of the population of america and then i think that's true if you could take that model and place it you know in a lot of institutions or things so i think people have to like got show up for lovecraft country right so um which i think people have but then you know when you have people you, you got to support them when they're putting out like high quality products that would serve not only to entertain but educate and awaken as well so just showing up supporting uh viewing you know all those things that are going to to uh, get that buzz and, and get more things like that being produced, um, I think is the best way to do that in that space.
0: And things like yours produced, you know, oh, I think that's, that's something you do really well Is you make it entertaining. Like for someone who has always been like, don't, oh, I don't want to deal with history. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. I actually want to listen to this. This guy's, this guy's great to listen to. He's entertaining, but it's also like, I'm learning something. And, and I think if anything, like America is a nation that wants to be entertained. For better Yeah, the I think it
1: boils down to the, to the stories too, right? Because even, uh, you know, I look to like the, the oral traditions of, uh, you know, indigenous peoples of African tribes, they had uh, what was called griots and they were musicians, they were storytellers, they were repositories of knowledge and, you know, they blended drum and, and, and rhythm and music into the story in order to engage people on a more vis- visceral level, like a mm-hmm. feeling level. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the way that education has been packaged, you know, in our Western thought process is more of the intellectual, more of the rational, more of the, you know, algebraic type of thinking, right, to where, and that's applied to history because people have um, tried to kind of make history a science, so to speak. That's where you get the dates and the events and this fact and that fact, even though, I mean, we know deep down, like, history is interpretive, right? There's really no facts per se. It's not an absolute mm-hmm. fact. It's not one plus one. It's more like this is someone's uh, view of an event, whether they were there or not. I mean, you have stories, actually, histories that weren't even written until like 400 years after the fact, you know, <laughs> it's but it's so long accurate. ago. You know, exa- <laughs> exactly, right? So it's interpretive. So we've kind of taken the storytelling out of history, which makes it bland, which makes it monotone or this mm. day and that day, like that kind of thing. But, you know, I try to stay true to those, oral traditions where there was these enlivening kind of campfire, you know, gather around, I'm going to tell you a story aspect to it um, that hits you on like more of a spiritual level. And with my whole intellectual brain, like being able to kind of merge those two parts of myself to be able to tell an entertaining story, but then mix in things like race, class, gender, anthropology, sociology, like all these things that I try to intertwine into the story to make you think as well.
0: So great. So great. If you, I mean, if you guys aren't already sold on going and listening to his podcast, like do it, do it, do it, do it. I've got to, I've got to take a pause so that we can talk um, real quickly about lost range CBD. Do you dabble in the CBD world?
1: I uh, definitely have. I mean, I think um, just in the, the age of anxiety, right in the age of, you know, you um, know, Lack of mental health access and care. I mean, definitely things natural. that have been proven to um, help with various ailments, you know, whether it be uh, mentally, physically, um, definitely CBD, I think is one of those, those things uh, that, uh, you know, have been proven to, to help. So I've definitely, you know, used that before.
0: Cool. We um, lost range CBD is a, is a small batch company out of steamboat Springs, Colorado. And, they're amazing. Their products are super high quality. We're doing a CBD 101 episode um, just to kind of really help people understand like how, it, to your point, how it works, why it works. People have a hard time if they can't intellectualize it and don't understand the how and why behind it. They're kind of like, eh, I get it. I think. So we're going to dive. We're going to do a whole episode on that, but I'm going to send you a bunch of their products because they're amazing work. I swear by them. Um, as far as a lot of different things, anxiety this day and age. Whoo. Um, so yeah. you'll get some, and you can check it out and see what you think. But oh, you know, one of the things that you were just mentioning is this idea of connecting, like intellectually, and like that how, why piece of the analysis that we like to get into versus like the feeling and the visceral and the storytelling. And, um, I see this correlation between what I do is, um, I coach individuals and teams and help them identify thought patterns. And I have the, over the last three years, neuroscience has just been blowing my mind, pun intended, because it is the science that is really grounding personal development and all of its claims that it's been making for the past 50, hundred years. And mm-hmm. you know, it's with the ad- advance of technology that, you know, we can actually see what's going on in the brain. Lombotomy is not very cool, not like a sustainable way to understand no. what's going on in there. So we've got all this new information and understanding of what's going on up there and helping people um, recognize that based on your childhood, based on your environment, based on society, based on your experiences, you have a thought thought network that Mm -hmm. is looping constantly right and sometimes that works really well for you sometimes those things that keep you stuck and so now we know that we can that our brains are plastic that we can reprogram thoughts create new neural pathways and essentially create new realities for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as I've been kind of connecting all of those dots and then with all of the unlearning of the, the great unlearning of 2020 is maybe what I'm going to call it (laughs) with that, I'm starting to see the correlations between collective thought patterns, both within both communities, right? Like we, we, we each have our own sets and each are valid and each are working to keep us where we're at just like an individual thought pattern does. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. that that's a conversation I really want to start to have with people is like, how can we start to look at the collective thought patterns on both sides and start to break some of those down and really start to unravel some of these and reprogram so that we can shift into different realities for all of us.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, it, you use the word collective and I think that, um, Largely what we see is, is isolation, right? The, this sense of weeness, this sense of connectedness um, is a lot of time lost. And even when we are connecting, I think sometimes it's not really a deep connection. Um, it's kind of more flittering, It's kind of more uh, insubstantial. And um, you know, I, I think people can sense that right. So how do we formulate and form deep dialogues? How do we formulate deep discussions? How do we formulate deep connections? Um, In in order to move forward. And, you know, whether that be from a perspective of reshaping our own neural pathways or, you know, uh, fighting a battle against, you know, imperialism or colonialism, you know, it could be any of these things that it'd be tied to, but we can't do it alone. We have to do it together and we have to connect, right? So I think there's a lot to be said about uh, connectedness and togetherness and we ness and all these things that that we have to do uh, to be able to come together and make change, whether within ourselves or society.
0: Yeah, there's you might actually be able to help me out with this there because I'm blanking on the name right now and I didn't go to look it up. So I'd have it before this. Um, I read about a like a letter or this like really famous slave master from like the French Polynesia area. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Um, he, was they, it-
0: they, they apparently brought him over in like the 1700s at some point because um, Americans were having trouble. Was it the Willie Lynch
1: uh, letter? Yes, you're the Willie Lynch Yes, yeah. the yeah. Willie
0: Lynch letter. Uh, and there,
1: there's some, there's some controversy around the um, validity of that, uh, but that circulated around like in the black community for for a long time, and it's basically um, something that you know if you want to be able to control your slaves for 400 more years beyond this point then this is how you do it. And, you know, it's got things like atrocities, like, you know, beat the father in front of the kid and, you know, all these things that are going to make these imprints. And as you said, like these neurological connections um, that are going to keep that trauma circulating. But I think there's value in that, whether it's real or fake, because some of that, I mean, you know, these, these things you can read about through real sources. I mean, these things did happen. So whether somebody kind of pieced them together into some letter or not, I think that, uh, there's definitely some validity and, and truth to, you know, that historical trauma that is, uh, talked about in that letter and kind of how to perpetuate it, you know, slave masters, slave masters. It's, uh, shown in the letter, really Lynch letter. Yeah. that's
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's what I find interesting about it because I th- I think like the controversy almost validates it more for me. Mm-hmm. Right, because if this is a letter about how to control your slaves, of course, white people would be like, No, 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 that didn't happen. That's bullshit. <laughs> like, we didn't yeah, do that, we didn't do exactly. that. You know, like of course they're gonna try and make people think that like this is just dis- try and discredit it because it is there and in place to help with mind control in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, and- there's a lot of that too, right? Because um, you know. Uh, there's a lot of like, you know, white historians who like, I don't listen. I don't know if you ever listened to the 1619 project. um, I
0: did listen to that. There was was like a whole
1: like justice league of white historians who came together to like debunk that and wrote whole like books about it. Like, you know, super thick, like debunking, you know, fact check the 1619 and, you know, I'm like, wow. I'm even, even, you know, I'm I'm all for argument and debate, you know, whether something's true or untrue, but I was just kind of shocked at the level of, um, you know, rallying together of like, you know, all these historians and stuff who just came together to attack that piece, Um, you know, and it's still, that debate's still going on like really highly brought up in the media. And in response to that, Donald Trump then came up with the uh, 1776 commission where he, and I'm not sure if that'll be dismantled with him losing the presidency, but where he wanted to form his commission to promote a patriotic history, to promote a history that focuses on the constitution, the founding fathers and you know, those great things of America and our founding and all this, you can look at the website right now, the 16, 1776 Commission, um, all in response to this one podcast, a limited cities podcast, where they were just like, hey, maybe there's a connection here to, you know, America's founding and slavery and here's the evidence we found. Just the whole nation just brought its whole, you know, force to bear, historic force and presidential force and everything else to try to crush that, um, where they were just trying to um, unconceal hidden truths you know, much the same way I do. I was like, "Whoa, that's some some force to, to come after that." Same as maybe with the Willie Lynch letter, right? where it's like, "This this is this is true." So we got to shut this down, right?
0: Right. And I, yeah, it's oh man, it's so scary. It's so scary to think about. Yeah, like what what gets squashed and what's what's getting promoted, and and how that's just that's been a wash, rinse, repeat cycle in history. Yeah. Like, it's, that kind of makes
1: you start thinking about things like fascism in, in a lot of ways because that's kind of like the beginnings of that, right? Like uh, state-sponsored media is shutting out, dissenting voices because the the predominant voice is, you know, the, the founding fathers, the wars, the America as the savior of the, of the uh, earth, right? The, uh, the Western thought process, all these things. So you know, all, all I'm trying to do and all, you know, what some other, you know, small group people are trying to do is just produce a counter narrative. Ultimately, it's like, hey, that's that perspective, but Here's another perspective that you didn't get. You know, here's a side of the story that you didn't look at. Um, There was a historian. His name was E.H. Carr. And he said that you have to not only look at the history, but you also have to look at the historian. And a historian is like a fisherman. And depending on who you are, you know, it could be what gender you are, what race you are, where you came from, your background. Well, I'm going to fish in a different part of the ocean than you. So I'm going to, you know, get different resources from a different place. My perspective is going to be different. So I'm going to get starfish and you're going to get um, you're going to pull up a shark. Or, you know, what I'm saying we're going to get different yes, things, you know, totally. so we, we need to know like the diversity of the ocean of history. Right. So for only getting this one perspective um, this, you know hetero patriarchal you know white perspective only and e- even white women have had a problem trying to get up and, and and get their writings up till more recently you know so like there's definitely been a lack of diversity in the historical na- narrative and who's telling those narratives and I think that kind of all ties in you know to what we're talking about so um yeah you got to get diversity and, and where you're getting your information from to be well-rounded for sure
0: 100 percent so if you could, if you could blow up the education system and how it pertains to history, like, what would you do? Like, let's pretend like you can do anything you want and we could actually like put it into place. What would that look like to you?
1: Um, I think it would, it would look very diverse, right? I mean, you'd rebuild it with the people and, um, you know, I would want the, uh, I would just want it to be reflective of the people who are learning, right? The one's teaching reflective of the one's learning. So the, uh, you know, more, more diversity in educators and teachers, more diversity in stories, um, you know, and, and I think just that that word just keeps on coming up, right? Just a uh, more, more diversity in what we're getting, because again, uh, I think what we're getting more now is is heritage over history. What we're getting now is something that is going to keep people, tied into the status quo um, to where, you know, if you go against the grain, you're gonna kind of be punished. If you uh, try to think outside the box, you know, that's that's dissuaded. Um, you get away from that a little bit in college, but even, even there, a lot of things are very prescriptive as far as that teaching as well. But, um, you know, I, I would rebuild it from the ground up with diversity, not only with the people, but with the uh, material um, and really, um, tie in critical thinking, right? And real life skills and different things like that to give a real deeper sense to education.
0: Yep. Um, I uh, attended this like little intimate concert, backyard concert of like 12 people over the summer. uh, And the musician there, I mean, it was, it was honestly really incredible. Wes Watkins was his name. This is in Denver and um, a predominantly white audience. He was black and he came in with just some of a, the most incredible music. He was really eclectic one man show and he was he, straight out of the gate. He was like, This is going to be uncomfortable. And everyone's looking around, it's like, Oh, it's supposed to be like a little summer sounds concert. What's happening here? And um, he wove James Baldwin in throughout his entire set in this like really magical way. And it created this conversation that he was having with the audience through his music that I just, I did not never heard anything like it before. And it was just so well done and um, really, really incredible how he did it. And he had this idea. He was like, I think I want to like redo the schoolhouse rock cartoons. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. yes, love that. Like, what if we start to do like different fun things like that? Like taking things that probably had something to do. I don't know that schoolhouse rock. I can't really remember schoolhouse rock that much, but like, You know, how how do we start creating cartoons for kids like that? Do we, um, you know, what sort of focus do we put on education? That's like forward thinking and also inclusive of history from that acknowledgement standpoint. And like the, we don't want to go back here or celebrating and elevating other figures and other stories like, Hey, let's look at this legacy instead and see what this one has to offer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's amazing to uh, be able to reimagine, you know, these stories uh, and interpret them differently, which is going to, in turn, engage new audiences, you know, uh, which yeah, I, I salute that uh, guy because, you know, you thought you were just going for a rock concert and here he is weaving oh, in James Baldwin and waking everybody up.
0: He absolutely crushed it. It was so incredible. It, it was, I, I really salute him too. I'll. I'll. We'll link him in the show notes for you guys.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's that. I mean, I think you you've hit it on on the head on that. Though. I mean, we we do have to reimagine. You know how we tell the stories to keep them fresh, uh, to keep uh, people engaged, and then I think that is where the work begins. You know, because you gotta you gotta hook people in some way, right? Kind of. Um, you, you people aren't gonna. You know, the people are distracted. Um, so you got to be able to hook them in through that entertaining aspects of the stories which we spoke about earlier right
0: totally we entertain us we're American and human (laughs) I guess
1: (laughs) yeah human I mean we just love stories but I think that's that's not a bad thing right I just think it's you know it's got to be balanced though because you know sometimes when we get too wrapped up in the entertainment then we miss the enlightenment right so um, you know I think we do have a culture kind of Disneyland a lot of times where we only want entertainment we only want fun and we only want uh you know the gold and the glitter and the the rides and the popcorn and all that. But there's always kind of like that underside, right? That 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 dark side as well that we have to deal with whether whether it's within ourselves or society. So as long as I think it's balanced, because again, like you got that entertaining aspect of the concert. And then like you said, you wove that in, so you got the full uh, perspective of humanity you got to experience your the fullness of your own humanity you know the good and, and the bad and everything else and you know how James Baldwin does with his beautiful prose uh you could be talking about some of the ugliest realities but the writing is just so beautiful right Unbelievable. it's
0: just, like yeah it's every
1: part of your soul and then have a musician talented up there doing that you know I wish I could have been there you should have got that on video for us that would have been
0: oh man been really it me. was it was one of those things it was so intimate and it was so powerful um I thought about Pulling it out to video, but like it also just didn't feel. Yeah. Like I just wanted to be be present with it, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, I he was yeah he's he's really really incredible. I'll definitely send you his info afterwards so you can hopefully find some. I I hope he's still continuing to do it because it was a it was like kind of like awkward Corona time, obviously. And it's like, do we do things like this? Do we not? It was socially distance and, you know, limited to the number of people for what Colorado was supposed to do and very kosher in that regard. Um, and it was a new thing that he was trying. Cause this was, this was probably, this was in June. So it would have been like mid, like mid June that this happened or actually maybe it was in August it was August. Um, So he'd been kind of thinking about this like new approach to his, his music and his artistry. And, and she was like, I've never done this before. It's going to get uncomfortable. Let's go. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was great. Sometimes you just got to like dive into that pool of uncomfortability and start swimming and see what happens. Absolutely. Um, I just had an idea based on your, your theme park thing that you just like the popcorn and the glitter and the rides and everything. Because one of the things I think is, you know, the monuments, right? Like, what do we do with these monuments of these terrible people (laughs) that are causing a lot of tension in the nation right now? And there's, there is that, that line of like, if we take them down, what do we do with them? Do they do they go away do they do we pretend like it didn't happen like i think that there's there's value in having them so that we can educate to to it but like putting them on a literal pedestal is not the answer what if we create a theme park that has all of these things in it that are like telling the stories and like in entertaining and e- engaging in like a whole new way
1: well, if it was a theme park, then it would have to be called like Horrorland, all right? It for be, sure, you know what I mean? for sure.
0: Um, oh yeah, like I
1: think there, there's there's comfortable
0: land, or you I don't know I think you
1: should get rid of them, you know, because they 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 exist, you know, and they they were brought forth, and I think that there's a remembrance there that that needs to happen, but um, you can look up um you know you have like suburbs that were built right um especially in the south. And some of the centerpieces of these suburbs, like you could see, like, magazine article cutouts from, like, the 1920s, 30s, whatever, you know, where white people would buy homes. And one of the selling points of this suburb was a statue of, like, Robert E. Lee or something, like, in the middle of the suburb. Wow. So that's the history, the legacy, excuse me, of a lot of these statues uh, in Louisville where I'm at. Uh, There's one in... uh, a uh, neighborhood called Cherokee Triangle is still up. Or, uh, well, I don't know if they tore that one down or not, I have to think about it. It's just like the whole era of like monuments, some of them got tore down, some of them are still up, some schools are still named after the general, some are, I mean, you, you lose track, right? Because, you know, it's a, a cycle of so some being taken down, some some staying up, but um, ultimately, I, I don't think, I mean, why would you wanna keep a school name though know, after somebody who perpetuated slavery, violence, et cetera, et cetera. So as far as like a school, you know, it's a name, rip it off, name it something else. I mean, you got, you know, they finally changed the Redskins name, the football team. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there's no reason to keep that, but the statues, you know, you do have opportunities to put those in museums and then, you know, have historians in there who can interpret it in a way that's going to promote growth, um, or remembrances in a way of like not doing this again, a remembrance of the atrocity and the, uh, the legacies of these people, um, in a way that I think could still be important and, uh, Fuel like a conversation.
0: Yeah, maybe the museum is a better idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, the theme park that could get a little, <laughs>
0: the little theme weird, right? Theme little park could get a
1: little <laughs> We'll have
0: to like bring Jordan Peele on it and like have him do a take and like here take. Yeah, he thing. might. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <And> that, that <laughs> sounds like work a, on uh, this.
1: a premise for a Jordan Peele movie right there. Yeah, it, it is. Ooh, we should... <laughs> the yes. theme park before, from history.
0: Oh man, that could be yeah. interesting. Um, are you a Kentucky Wildcats fan?
1: I really like kind of, you know, gave up on sports, honestly, like okay. Louisville, Kentucky, like the big, uh, rivalry, I'm sure in every state has their, their, uh, interstate rivalries or just, you know, state, uh, next to this state, you know, I'm sure. Colorado probably has theirs as well, but, um, you know, I, I, have, I did follow up for a long time, but I haven't for a while though.
0: Okay. I know I'm, they're I'm, still
1: like the team, right? You know, they're the, one of the bigger teams, Kentucky basketball and everything has always been like a pretty big deal.
0: Calm down, calm down. I'm a Kansas Jayhawk and we won last night. So there yeah. You go.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, Kansas, so yeah they, they, they've they always got good sports programs as well, a little, uh, history we, of like just great, great teams
0: we'll say basketball teams. They're football. Teams. Yeah. Basketball. Yeah. Football. Not- <laughs> I
1: don't really remember hearing much about that. <laughs> yeah, you, basketball. yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember a year where they didn't make it, you know, they make it usually pretty deep into the, to the, uh, you know, uh, the finals and everything like that. So
0: we were ranked number one in the nation last year when they shut everything down, we were poised to take it home for the tournament. But um, I always like Kentucky is one of my favorite rivalries too. I've got a lot of friends that went to to UK. And so So you're, I I guess, from Kansas,
1: moved to Colorado.
0: I grew up um, in Wichita, Kansas. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I moved to Oak Park, Illinois. And finished out high school in Oak Park. And then went back to school down in Lawrence. And then hopped over to Colorado and have been here since, for the most part. And went back to Chicago for a couple years. um, Because it's a great city. And I wanted to experience that before you know, I was tethered someplace else. So um came back to Colorado though ultimately.
1: Yeah, I've I've taken several trips to Colorado and you know, driving through Kansas, boy, that's some uh oh it's the worst plain <laughs> uh nothing to see it's kind of hour seems like an eternity drive but um
0: yeah you, so know, you gotta Colorado. have lots of good podcasts ready to go for that drive.
1: I think Colorado's definitely a um a place where a lot of people go to be reborn, especially like an artist's creativity. And, um, you know, it's definitely a city I fell in love with as far as just like visiting there. a Little little expensive to live there. So I didn't never make that choice to move uh, out there like permanently, but I visited like, I I might come out like almost once a year, it seems, um, just for the outdoors and just the artistic community. Have friends who moved out there for a while too.
0: So uh, yeah,
1: definitely love Colorado, Denver, Boulder, all that.
0: Yeah, I after doing the Midwest winters, and then like experiencing the Colorado winters, and then going back to Midwest winters, I was like, "Mm -mm." like, (laughs) I want to be outside year round, I want to be able to like, have some sunshine. And I think there's this
1: misconception about Colorado winters, though, like, it's like, definitely cold. I think it's different, right? Maybe way different. yeah, because I was looking like it's not that different from where I'm at, except maybe it feels different.
0: It's in the essence. humidity. So, yeah, the lack yeah. of humidity makes a, I mean, it literally feels <laughs> 10 or 15 degrees different, even though it's like a 40 degrees in Colorado and a 40 degrees in Chicago is insanely different. Wow. Yeah. Which is so, 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 I mean, you know, perspective.
1: Absolutely.
0: Good old perspective. Okay. So we'll start wrapping this one up where can people find you and how can we support you? Right, let's, let's make sure that everybody knows where they're going to go get their history from and where to find you all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, the humanity archive. I mean, if you search the humanity archive on Google, my website's going to come up uh, podcast is going to come up. Uh, that's just the humanity archive, uh, the at the humanity archive on Instagram um you know at the humanity archive on facebook um patreon.com backslash the humanity archive um keeping so, it yeah, consistent that, i love it yeah that's that's where you can support it yeah it was a name it wasn't it was not taken so uh yeah,
0: and it's a great one spread that,
1: it's, spread that around everywhere <laughs> but
0: it's yeah, really search good that.
1: you're gonna come across all the resources my social my website i've got a blog where I, i'm writing articles i'm producing podcasts um you know, trying to be as active as I can on social. So, um, yeah, support, uh, real history. I'm a one man show. I don't have like some team. I'm doing everything from producing the podcast to, uh, researching for it to, uh, creating graphics, to engaging with the public. So, you know, I'm just trying to grow it and get it in more ears. I definitely think that everyone out there will find great value in it, be entertained and enlightened at the same time. Uh, so yeah, please support it. Please check it out. And, uh, definitely. Yeah.
0: That's where you can find me. Perfect. Julius, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I forgot a question that I really want to go back and ask. So we're going to have to do that now. Um, where do you, I mean, I think your podcast is what I would suggest like you and just your podcast, your blogs, everything is where I would point people. um, if they are starting to kind of dig into history and unlearning, um, What, like, do you have like a starting place for people that you would suggest like here, maybe try this or like, like, I think sometimes it can be so overwhelming with where to start. Like, what would you kind of point as, as a starting position?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a tough one, right? Because I mean, just with the massive amount of information, like you said, it it is very difficult. Even like when people have heard about my podcast, they'll even ask like what episode specifically should I start with? Because You know, it's just so much you don't know where to begin. Um, I mean, there's just so many great resources out there. I, I think I would just start with a topic, right? If you're thinking about, you know, you want to uh, start with history. I mean, I, I mean, you could look at the, I mean, I, I'm connected to a lot of people who uh, do diverse history. Uh, there's a guy on my page called Mages of the Story and that I've interacted with and engaged with. He uh, does like interpretive history. Um, you know, there's several people out there doing like anti-racism work. There's several educators out there who are trying to bring more diverse perspectives there. So I think, though, if you're a seeker, seeking you will find, right? So mm-hmm. if you start digging, you're going to turn some stuff up. So, um yeah, just start looking. Really do the work. Really start digging in and you're, you're going to find what you're looking for. You got to be patient, though, because you got to sift through all the, the, the bull crap out there, too, right? But um, just start digging. You're There's some people out there doing the work, uh, so you'll find them.
0: Cool. Um one more question. Black History Month. Now I'm like borderline offended that it's only a month long. Now that I've like, I'm like, what what? Like this is like it's like in on one hand, great that we have it. And now in hindsight, it's kind of like why does this have to be relegated to just a month? What are mm-hmm. your thoughts on it?
1: I think it's um Black History Month was started by Carter G. Woodson and it was actually started as Black History Week. And, you know, this is a gentleman who was a scholar uh, back in like the 1920s, 30s. And he, his whole idea was like, I don't want this to go on forever. We're just gonna do this Black History Week for a few years and then people are going to see the value in Black history. Then it will be incorporated into the overall curriculum and landscape of the education system in America. Here we are almost 100 years later, wow. still expanding it to Black History Month. And, you know, what's funny is like me, like I started really started really getting into the podcast in uh, January of last year. And uh, like my the interest in my podcast, like spiked like 10 times during Black History Month. And then it kind of, you know, like I'm talking about like journalists, like media attention, you know, uh, PR type of stuff. As far as people wanting to cover the podcast, what I was doing. And then that kind of more like institutional attention just kind of more dissipated after Black History Month. So I think there's definitely something to be said about why is the interest only during this month and it's not like incorporated into like the everyday into you know the landscape of the education system. I think that's something we really have to look at and figure out how to fulfill that legacy of Carter G. Woodson where he wanted to be incorporated into the everyday, integrated, not segregated into a month that just plays into the whole idea of segregated. Like it's separate, it's one month, it's over here. And then the rest of history is over here. We got to bring that together.
0: Mm. Mm. So I've got to ask a, a, another vulnerable, awkward question after this. So we could drop this during Black History Month, this episode, and does that perpetuate or does that help support and give you more visibility knowing that that spike will probably come for you again next February?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? I mean, um, so you can look at it from two different ways, right? I mean, in one way, it does uh, kind of play into that um, where you're putting that out during that month and centering it in that month. But then on the other end, you look at it from a standpoint of like, More eyeballs are probably going to get on it during this month, which is going to raise the awareness, hopefully, for the rest of the year. So, Mm. you know, you can take either approach, I think, honestly, as long as we're aware of what it is and I think we acknowledge it and talk about it. I don't think we're at a point right now where we could just do away with Black History Month until we replace it with you know a more uh, year-round awareness so ultimately I think we have to use it but also talk about like this isn't the best solution you know where, where do we go from here like how do we start to do away with Black History Month and start incorporating this into the everyday so you know I, I definitely wouldn't take any offense to this you know being put out during that month at all um and ultimately You know unfortunately as it is it's probably going to reach more people during that month for sure i
0: i i would leave the decision with you like i whatever you're most comfortable with i'm happy to do
1: yeah i'm 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 cool with it all if you want to kind of hold it back till then and you might have a lot of editing work, too, so it might take you until Black History Month <laughs> to actually put this editing together with all the, you know, kind of back and forth and everything like that. So maybe that's what it'll come out anyway, right?
0: <laughs> oh, we love you, Julius. You're the best. Yeah.
1: Julius, I don't know you, man, but yeah, some, yeah, some work cut out for you,
0: man. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, one... Okay, two more things. I'm so sorry. I want to give you back the rest of your night. But you posted today on um, Instagram asking for ideas and um, suggestions for stories to tell. And this is a book that I just got and have started reading. You might not be Mm -hmm. able to read it because it's backwards, but are you familiar with Fool's Crow?
1: I'm not, but I got my my pen right now. I'm writing down
0: the title of that
1: book. Tell me a little Um. bit about it
0: fool's crow wisdom and power he is um the the greatest sioux holy man that there's i think um and i am i am real new to indigenous history um i want to say black eagle I don't know if i can find it really quickly basically there's like two of a oh, black elk black elk and frank fool's crow are are known as like Kind of like the untouchables in the world of holy men and shamans and whatnot. And um this is a story, or not a story, it's an account from a white male Christian, is the is the writer. Mm-hmm. And I think what you'll find really interesting aside from the story is how deliberate. He was, in what we were talking about earlier, like not putting his perspective and his spin on it and really making sure that there were other people in the room to help facilitate the translation and really get it to a place that um, was is a, as close to of a representation of what Fool's Crow would w- write as possible. Um, so that would yes. be my, that's my request. If you want to do a story about it, I'd love to hear what. Your take on it and everything,
1: absolutely, absolutely, yeah, definitely, I've got that written down. So, um, yeah, that's something. And you said it's from like uh, from that perspective, but he's talking about uh, like uh, what was it, uh, black? What was the the name of the uh, the shaman again? Was it black elk you said or
0: black elk is uh, this one is about? So, Fool's Crow is the 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 holy man. Um, black elk was. There's kind of some debate as to like who was holier. <laughs> if that's the thing, right? Um, but the uh, Thomas E. Mails is the the writer, and so I'm really only like 30 pages into it.
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot of un, un, I mean, I guess I would call it gold, right? The gold mines of history, like Native American history, maybe even more so than Black history, is like so much unmined story, so many unmined stories. I mean, besides like the Trail of Tears and Pocahontas and Sacagawea, and you know, you could probably name like. Maybe 10. I mean, if you ask somebody like, how many Native, uh, Native American figures from history can you name? Can you, can you uh, hold up, you know, both hands, like, is it going to go beyond your, your two, your two, hand, your 10 fingers? I guarantee, you know, people probably couldn't name 10.
0: No. Um, and then, and, and then to think about, how much they even,
1: yeah, and there's, oh, yeah, there's like so the many genocide, stories.
0: Like, like, we think the Holocaust is bad. <laughs> And it is. I'm not trying to say that the Holocaust was not a very horrible thing. But as I'm starting to realize that, like, there were a lot more people that were slaughtered in. Yeah and on our own land that yeah, like, I think the tragedy is back. we
1: don't talk about it. We don't talk exactly, about it goes, like the Holocaust. Right. So it yeah, it goes we, back not, to that same thing. We're like count the other, but like, why are not we talking about this? Like the Holocaust again? Like what's going on? We don't call it a Holocaust. You know?
0: No, <laughs> we don't call it a genocide. We don't. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's that refusal to acknowledge our sins.
1: There you go. Full circle. Full Ugh. circle.
0: Oh, Okay. So the final question I asked everybody, I have a gratitude practice. Um, every night as I fall asleep, I think of three things that I am really grateful for. And I won't make you do three, but I would like to hear one thing that you're really grateful for from the last day. I'll give you a 24-hour window to pick between. I'm uh,
1: just grateful for, I mean, I would say grateful for family, right? Family support. Um you know, just having a, uh, a foundation of people who care about me, whose love kind of propels me, um, even on the days where, you know, it gets rough. You know, you have people who love you. So so that kind of pushes you forward. So uh, just a love of family. And, and that's definitely something I'm forever grateful for, um, because where are we without without love and without that that kind of push. Right.
0: For sure. I'm very grateful for you. I'm very grateful for you saying yes to this and having this conversation. This conversation will be at the top of my gratitude list tonight. And just thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and your insights and your ideas and the work that you're doing in this world. It's so important and really looking forward to sharing this with as many people as I possibly can.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, And whenever you, like I said, I'm I'm fully on board if you want to wait to put it out. Just let me know when you do and I'll definitely, uh, you know, share it either, you know, to my stories or on my social as well. That way, you know, I could bring some more attention to this conversation too. So, um, definitely looking forward to engaging with you, you know, just, you know, throughout. So, uh, you know, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm glad to have network with you and, um, gained a friendship with you. So, um, let's stay in touch.
0: Sure. Yeah, please. I might pick your brain at some point about Patreon and how, like, just, yeah, I'll I'll reach out about that at some other time. But I'm just kind of exploring a couple of different platforms and ways to monetize, and also like make things accessible, and just kind of all of the different things that are out there. And I haven't explored it too much, but um, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna it's join a, yours. I didn't t- realize that that was a thing that you were doing.
1: Yeah, it's so. We- I mean, because I, I, I I'm not a salesman, right? But I mean, you do have to ultimately to gain support. So I've been a little leery about, uh, putting that out there, but now I've just kind of started leaning a little more into, okay, like, you know, if I, I would like to make this something a little more sustainable for myself. Um, so I do need to kind of start promoting it and showing the value in what I'm doing and, and allow people to, um, you know, uh, show their appreciation, you know, monetarily, um, Patreon. Was, it's an easy, uh, way to to go about it um, I don't think that's my like ultimate vision like for me having my website and trying to build that like I've played around with Patreon versus like putting all those resources on my own website from like having like courses and different things like that I'm kind of playing around with too but just from an ease of entry get right in mm-hmm. um, Patreon definitely will be the way to go uh, but for me long term I'm not sure if I'll stick with that as a forever thing but you know right yeah. now it's definitely something like boom you can jump right in and it's very easy easy to access and, and get started with.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I think what you're doing is super, super valuable and keep leaning in to that edge of promoting yourself because it's uncomfortable as fuck, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what you're doing is so important and it's really good work. Like you're writing, you're storytelling, you're, it, it, it all matters so much. So, um, if there's anything I can ever do to continue to support and champion you just holler, let me know.
1: Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks for having me on. All
0: right. Thanks Jermaine. All right. Bye. And that's a wrap. We want to hear from you guys. So tag at make one day happen on Instagram and share your biggest aha moment or one thing you can take from this episode and put into action today. If you're ready to go to the next level, I'm currently taking on new one-on-one coaching and team development clients. Head over to www.makeonedayhappen.com to learn more and book a free breakthrough session with me. Your word of mouth is wildly appreciated in helping us share these conversations with the world. I get so many of my podcasts I listen to for my friends' recommendations. So if anything resonated with you today, send it to someone else who you think would like it too. I know that every podcast out there asks you to subscribe and leave a review, and that's because it really helps us get these shows out there. So please go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Every other week, we'll pick our favorite review and hook that person up with a three full size Lost Range products and a Make One Day Happen goal setting kit. A big thank you to Lost Range. Remember to head over to www.lostrangecbd.com and use code Make One Day Happen for free prezzies, and we'll give 10% of your purchase to Last Prisoner Project. We know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to picking a podcast out there to listen to. So we're so grateful you chose us. Until next time, y'all. Peace.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive
0: offer.